Well, hey there. My name is Pastor Tim, and you have found my podcast. I currently serve as the pastor of First United Methodist Church of Fort Pierce, Florida, and I'm so grateful to be able to connect with you in this way. This podcast is a collection of my sermons and teachings that I hope you will use to deepen and strengthen your connection with Jesus Christ so that you might go and transform the world around you. So kick back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Perhaps the most compelling addition to any like you know story, whether it's a book, a, a movie, a TV show plot, is the introduction of one particular element. It's a situation that shocks everyone, right? And, and it invokes a, a deep emotional response. In fact, at this point in, in human storytelling history, it's almost a cheap trick. But it keeps getting used because we keep falling for it. And we keep falling for it because it hits us right in one of our innermost core fears. Betrayal. Think about it, right? It's almost impossible to think of a memorable story that doesn't involve some sort of betrayal. Even in kids' movies. I have a toddler, so I watch a lot of kids' movies right now, and let me tell you what, it's everywhere. Ariel, the Little Mermaid, betrayed by Ursula. Simba, the Lion King, betrayed by Uncle Scar. Aladdin, the poor beggar boy, betrayed by Jafar the evil sorcerer. And it goes on and on and on. And as I'm like looking back and watching these things, these are the core stories that shaped my childhood, my entire outlook on the world. So like, great, thank you, uh, whatever, right? Thanks, Disney. <laughs> but there is something that just like captivates us and also wrenches our guts about human betrayal, no? Like, I don't know about you, but I remember the first time that I watched The Empire Strikes Back, and I was scandalized while I witnessed the betrayal of Han Solo at the hands of his friend Lando Calrissian. You remember that one? It's awful, right? If you don't remember it because you haven't seen Star Wars, you had like 50 years, so you can't yell at me for, for like ruining the story for you. All right? Betrayal is one of our greatest fears. And it's one of our greatest fears because it comes in and it destroys the thing that we long for most in this world, security. We want to feel secure in our relationships. And that is because relationships are a fundamental piece of our human existence and our identity. God created human beings with the express intention that we would live together in relationships. It's written, woven into the very fabric of our lives, into our DNA. And betrayal, well, betrayal 
violates that. It is the antithesis, the greatest enemy of a core part of our identity. But it's one thing to, to read stories, James Patterson novels, and to watch uh, television shows, to watch movies, and experience betrayal in the third person, from the outside looking in. But it's a whole separate ballgame when we experience it ourselves, usually in like middle school. Right? But if there's one thing that I've learned, it's that every single person has dealt with this in their lives at some point, and it hurts, right? And it often causes us to change, it causes us to, to begin to guard our hearts a little more closely to trust a little less openly and freely, to see people as threats rather than as friends. We can often become closed off. We can become calloused. We can become jaded. We can become cynical of people and, and perhaps even of God for allowing things like this to happen to us in our lives. And that's no way to live. It's no way to live. And in fact, it's the exact opposite of what God desires for us. And so this week we begin a new sermon series called In the Wilderness. And what we're going to look at is how the promise of God's faithfulness to us far outweighs the betrayals and the hurts that we experience in this life. And how when all seems lost, we can find respite and find healing in God's love for us. And so this series is going to focus on uh, the book of Numbers, which if you know anything about the book of Numbers might have you groaning internally already. But I promise you, it's going to be good. And if it's not, you can come and tell me how I betrayed you and sold you a bill of goods a few weeks ago, all right? But the book of Numbers, I'm telling you, is actually a really fascinating book. Once you get past, well, all the numbers. <laughs> because the first several chapters of the book of Numbers are a census of Israel and an ordering of their society. And once you get through all that mess, they show up with a few more of those really fun laws that you like to read so much. But eventually, the book of Numbers gets to some pretty compelling narrative. And that's where we'll spend most of our time. And so the story so far, when you find yourself in the book of Numbers, is that the Hebrew people were slaves in the land of Egypt. And God came and rescued them from slavery and led them out of Egypt through a man named Moses. Now Moses led the people away from Pharaoh's army through the sea, remember that story? and out of harm's way from the Egyptian army. And when they were safe, they were led to the foot of a place called Mount Sinai. 
And it was at Mount Sinai that they camped for a very, very long time. This is the place where God gave them the Ten Commandments and all the other 613 really fun laws to read. It's where they learned how they were supposed to govern their fledgling little society, where they learned how to build the tabernacle, the place where they would worship their God, Yahweh. And so half of the book of Exodus is spent at Mount Sinai. The entire book of Leviticus is spent at Mount Sinai. And the first portion of the book of Numbers is spent there too. And and so where we are going to be today is going to come just as the Israelites are preparing to set out on their journey towards the promised land. And where they're about to head is into the wilderness. Now, in the original Hebrew that the Old Testament is written in, the book of Numbers is not called Numbers. You've been lied to your whole lives. All right? You've been betrayed by the Greeks who changed the name of the book of Numbers. In Hebrew, the book of Numbers is called Bamidbar, which in Hebrew means in the wilderness. Now, isn't that a better name? Makes you want to read it, right? Maybe not, but. But the name in the wilderness, it changes for me what the importance of the book is pointing at. It's not pointing at numbers. It's not pointing at a census. It's pointing at what is happening to these people. These people that God chose to deliver from slavery, that God chose to be the light of the world, what happened in the wilderness? And what happened in the wilderness was, well, they messed up. They hurt one another. They betrayed one another. And most clearly, they hurt and betrayed their leader, Moses. You know, Moses as the leader of the people of Israel and his brother Aaron, the high priest, were charged with a big task. Get these people in line, right? Lead these people well. Show them how to love God and love their neighbors. And so God has just finished giving all of the law to Moses, And we already know, if you've been reading up until this point, that things aren't going super smoothly. Moses is up on the mountain getting the law from God, and the people are at the foot of the mountain creating a golden calf to worship, doing all kinds of other things that are strictly prohibited by God. And then a few months later, these people are messed up in the fact that Aaron... His sons don't properly respect the innermost part of the temple. And then they're just grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. It was better for us as slaves in Egypt. And generally, they're just being people. They're being humans. They're doing what we all tend to do in one way or another. But God hasn't given up on them yet, and neither has Moses. And so after the law has been fully given out, knowing that it's a tall order and that these people are most likely going to fail. These words are spoken in the book of Numbers. This is chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. It says, So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the Israelites. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so they shall put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. This blessing, which is known as the priestly benediction or the Aaronic blessing, because Aaron was the one to say it, has been spoken over temple, synagogue, and church services for thousands of years. It's perhaps like the most iconic Old Testament phrase used in worship services, and that's because it truly encapsulates the human-divine relationship. It's a consistent reminder of God's promises and God's faithfulness to humans. So when we look at it a little bit closer, the, the Lord bless you and keep you is a reminder of God's activity all the way back at the beginning of the story. In the Garden of Eden, that God created these people that he, he blessed them and that he sought and continues to seek to keep or, or guard us from harm. Remember God's warning against sin? He said, don't eat from that tree, for surely you will die. And even after they left the Garden of Eden, God came and spoke to Adam and Eve's son, Cain, as he was burning with anger towards his brother Abel and said, you better be careful, Cain. Sin is crouching at your door, and it seeks to devour you. This line, it's a reminder to Israel and also to us that God is still in the business of blessing us with life-sustaining grace and is actively trying to protect us from sin. And the next line, the, the Lord make his face to shine upon you, is a reminder that God's presence is with us, even in the midst of our human failings, that, that God is gracious to us, waiting for us with patience. And the final clause, the Lord lift up his countenance, which is another way of saying his face, and give you peace. This is truly the end goal right here. The gift from God of peace. In Hebrew, the word peace is the word shalom. And shalom is the highest ideal of human existence that is portrayed for us in the Hebrew Bible. And it is still God's deep desire for humanity. This is what we're after. Shalom is the reconciliation of broken relationships. Shalom is where the power of God heals the rift caused by sin and betrayal in our world, in our personal relationships, in our own hearts, and also between us and God. But shalom doesn't just stop there. Shalom is not simply the absence of betrayal or brokenness or violence in the world. Shalom is the full realization of God's vocation for human beings. See, modern conceptions of peace tend to not do it justice. 
tends to just mean a state of no active combat, right? But shalom is a state of active reconciliation that is shown through the life-promoting and life-sustaining activity. Shalom is a state of selfless service to God and to our neighbors. Shalom is the ultimate hope for our world. And here's the kicker. Shalom is only possible if God is involved. I realize that this is very idealistic. I get it. It's even very idealistic of God. Like, God, have you met humans? Well, we know that you have because you made them. And then you came here and you walked among us. And that, I think, is the most uh, awe-inspiring aspect of this. Like, God is intimately aware of how messed up humans are. God is intimately aware of how messed up this Israelite community is that he's telling Aaron to bless in this way. And it's good news for us because God is intimately aware of how messed up our community is. But God continues to show up and promise them shalom, to promise us shalom. And because these Israelites and us are promised shalom, they are given this gift in the last line of bearing God's name. By bearing God's name, they become representatives, living representatives of God in this world. God says, they shall put my name on them. They are my own. I am theirs, and they are mine. It reminds me of Toy Story. When at the bottom of Woody's foot, Andy's prized possession scrawl his name, Andy. Throughout the whole series, they can't seem to permanently remove Andy's name from the bottom of Woody's foot. Same goes for us. No matter what we do, no matter what we try to cover up God's claim to us with, we cannot undo what God has done in us, that God has called us his own. And I think that this is the cure for our hearts when we face betrayal. When we're consumed with uh, the natural resentment that comes from having our trust broken. When that happens, we need something different inside of us to reconcile what we have lost. Because our natural inclination is, is retribution, retaliation hoping that they get what they deserve. But when we look at God's promise to us, God's promise of faithfulness, we see that, that we are actually in need of this peace, this shalom that gives us freedom to forgive. Perhaps the, the greatest and the easiest example of this is the death of Christ on the cross. You know, after being betrayed, denied, falsely accused, whipped, beaten, and mocked, 
Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus, in his agony, recognized that human betrayal, which he was facing the deepest consequences of, was nothing in comparison to the power of God to reconcile, to save, and to heal. Jesus knew in the face of human betrayal that the betrayal itself would not get the last word. Yes, the, the pain was real and it was something that was tangible in the moment. But it would not and never will get the final word if God is invited into the brokenness that betrayal creates. You know, for Jesus, after three days in the tomb, the consequences of his betrayal were reversed. And that's nice. But for us, it seems to take a little bit longer. Am I right? But the same God, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the power and the God that can resurrect our broken hearts when we've been hurt, betrayed by people who are called to love us. See, God's promise to us is that he is with us. God's promise to us is that through him we will find shalom. And this is the gift that Jesus gave to us through his life, death, and resurrection. This is the hope that we cling to as we wait for him to return and make all things new. And so for us here today, I think it's important for us to simply name the elephant in our own hearts. Because I know that all of us have felt the sting of betrayal at some point. So I think it's time for you to ask yourself, how has this changed me? How has it shaped me? Has it changed my heart? Am I still angry? Am I still carrying resentment? Am I harboring ill will towards someone? See, the overall goal of this sermon series is to help you to learn how to let go of that junk, that poison that you're carrying around in your heart next to the name of Jesus. And how living in to your identity as Jesus' people and allowing the faithfulness of God to bring you to a place of forgiveness and a place of shalom can heal your heart. And in that, shalom can begin to reign in and out to the world through you. So the invitation is simply for you to be aware. Think over your life. Where has betrayal shaped the way that you see those around you? Where has it shaped the way that you see your neighbor? Where has it shaped the way that you see your family? Where has it shaped the way that you see God? Where has it shaped the way that you see yourself? And what would it take? What would it take for you?
to receive the peace, the shalom that was taken from you? Where is the space for God to step in and to shine the light of love into your broken relationships and and make them whole once again? How can the faithfulness of your God change everything in your life? You know, as people who follow Jesus, we're called to imitate him in the way that we live our lives, which is a tall order. But think about this, that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he went to the cross, he invited all of his friends to come and share the Passover meal. Friends who would walk away from him. Friends who would deny that they even knew him. Friends who would, in a few short hours, turn him over to the authorities and betray him. And Jesus invited them in, washed their feet, and shared the Passover meal, a remembrance of God's faithfulness and provision to God's people. And so when the meal began, he he took the bread and gave thanks to God. He blessed the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Take and eat this in remembrance of me. And then when the supper was over, he took the cup. He gave thanks to God and he gave it to his disciples. He said, take and and drink this. This is my blood of the new covenant. It's been poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. Sins that you've not even yet committed. And so, God, we invite you to come and to meet with us here in this place. We ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and the cup. God, that they would be for us your body and your blood and that together we might be your body, broken yet beautiful, sent out in mission towards the redemption of your world. God, show us and remind us that it is your grace and your faithfulness that overcomes the betrayal that we feel in our hearts. It overcomes the ways that we've betrayed you and our neighbors, and it overcomes the ways that we have been betrayed ourselves. So come, meet with us here, God. Help us. Heal us. Show us your peace. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.